0: you do music and stuff no I, i'm not prepared enough for that uh, so, but... no we're not prepared here we go yeah. <laughs> it <Fire laughs> Chris. Let it rip, man. <laughs> hey, hey we're here we're here we're live it's uh it's a thing yeah we're just uh just hanging out tonight so we'll see who wants to kind of hang out we want to get questions um and uh, nobody's watching it anyway because no one really cares but it's all good so um but <laughs> how's it going michael what have you been up to
1: Oh, well, I I, uh, I hope all of the viewers look forward to the episode with our new friend Dwayne Roberts here joining us uh, all the way from the Bahamas. From the Bahamas, uh, yeah. Which is really cool. Uh, and we just had an awesome conversation with Dwayne, and we're really happy to have him on the show. So, uh, everyone, uh, keep an eye out for that. So, here we are. Uh, also, Hannah Goodine is with us. Hello. Uh, Potter may or may not be joining us if she can sort out her uh internet connection. She said uh, oh well that's why she was using Opera according to the text she just sent me. So
2: <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is Opera? Is that a
1: browser? It's an it's a browser, yeah. Oh, here we go.
3: Okay. There she is. Yay. Samantha <laughs> <laughs> <the> Potter. <laughs> uh yeah, my this is my two thousand fifteen MacBook Pro and I was on Opera and it was like, yeah. Oh this
1: we can't um,
3: chrome.
1: I have, this is a uh, box of trifoils. Girl Scout cookies, courtesy of Kyle's daughter. Thank wow. you for selling these to me. I'm going I've to eat this entire well. box. Yeah, I'm going to eat this whole box during the live stream. When I eat, finish the cookies, live stream is over. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Put you your Girl Scout cookies in the comments. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so so we're just
3: hanging Everywhere. out.
1: So if, if you're
0: watching, feel free to uh, ask us some questions. You know, the whole uh, what ask me anything style thing. I've been mean, I've been telling Mike or not, I've been meaning to tell Michael and Kyle. I want I want to do that, like plan it ahead of time, do like an ask me anything type of thing. Have maybe have some pre scheduled questions and then just and just rip through them. But so please feel free to. This is we're just we're just hanging out. Nothing nothing official here. So um.
1: can I say that chewing cookies with in your monitors in? Is a wild experience. It's so loud inside yeah. my head due to the bone connectivity. It's, it's like
0: you're creating your own ASMR. Hey, Dwayne. By the way, Willa is watching right now. So is she watching from her job? I don't I don't, I don't know. I don't. I,
3: I, I <laughs> call her out on the internet.
0: <laughs> she doesn't have to answer. I don't know. Michael, tell everybody who we have with us right now.
1: Okay, uh, uh, so we have, from from the upper left, which I suppose would be that way, Hannah Goodine from uh, Huston University up in Bangor, Maine. This Did is me.
4: Bangor?
1: Bangor. I don't he's know. He said Bangor. A real
4: Bangor. How the fuck
2: do
1: you say it? I don't know.
4: <laughs> I, I'm going to give you crap for it.
1: All right. So, Chris Leonard over there, also the host of How We Got Loud, The Ultimate History of Live Sound, which is a really cool project. Oh. David Williams, down here in the lower left quadrant. I'm struggling to point in the right direction. David, uh, degreed electrical engineer, also very good sound engineer. He can be spotted behind the monitor desk at oh, a lot of know, my shows. You know what I have the power to do? What? Oh, uh, look at that. Wow. wow. <laughs> okay, great. That makes this so much easier. <laughs> Samantha Potter, uh, newly appointed install empress at Allen & Heath, uh, American Music & Sound. Yes, uh you may recognize her from the Churchtown podcast. You may recognize her from Churchtown magazine. Yeah. You may recognize her from a very glamorous press photo that I saw of you posing uh on your stairway in your house yeah. with an <laughs> Alan Heath matrix mixer uh which is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. And and Dwayne Roberts joining us from the Bahamas, uh, from Same. above above standard audiovisual uh, services.
2: I, I believe that's that I remember it correctly, Dwayne. Yep, you did. You got it.
1: Awesome. Uh, so yes, confirmed. Willa is in fact joining us from uh, work, which is that's the way to do it. She, it's training. It's educational. She's she's this is research and development, like Dwayne said. Uh, yeah. He's qualified. He stole a console. <laughs>
0: So, you know, one thing I like about Dwayne is, so it's always fun when a when a podcast guest come on uh, and they have questions for us. Um, it makes us look better because we typically don't prepare enough for our episodes. So it's great <laughs> when our guests have questions for us. So Dwayne, and I appreciate that.
2: Hey, no problem. Man. I like to pick your brains.
1: Hey, let's talk about Oxfed subs, <laughs> Right, Michael? You got to stop. She Here's the problem. Potter goes on and stirs the pot. She's a pot stirrer. Chris is a pot stirrer. But Potter is like ultra Potter. No, She's the pots like...
3: find me and say, beg me to stir them. Like are just begging for it.
1: Wait. So what, what pot are we stirring now? No, no, no. We're not. I'll no, we're not. Some... No, we're not stirring that. We're not stirring the pot. I, I didn't do that. No. Go read Pro Sound Web. There's data. Go read the data. We're I posted the
3: link. So the rest is up to them. <laughs>
2: That's right. But there sometimes you, go. you have to explain the information. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, No, you do. People people spread massive, like misinformation, just like wrong information that they wholly believe is correct, but will not accept.
1: Of course. Your you you're not like, you don't Isn't know this stuff's wrong subjective? and you're going to say it anyway. I don't even think so, right?
2: Like, the opinion of Oxford or not Oxford, like, you know, that's, that's a conversation to be had for the ages, right? Like, there's a ton of, you know, back and forth on it.
1: I don't yeah. like that people try to make things into debates where it's like my approach is the only acceptable approach. Right. That's my issue. If you want to do it, knock yourself out. You want to put on a matrix, knock yourself out. You want to do it off left to right, knock yourself out. But don't tell someone else that their way is wrong. I don't like that
2: but is there a correct me i'm i'm just joking no it depends on what you're trying no <laughs> we, had all, we had
1: too many pot on the show no, no, no,
0: it, it depends on what you're trying to do i'm dead serious and that's the okay. i i like it best when you know uh when people say hey i do it because of this i'm trying to achieve x right and so and, and that is the right approach right so i mean if your approach is hey i'm using my subs for an effect uh, then yes, your answer is going to be, I'm going to use them on an aux, right? If your answer is, I'm going, you know, like there's a couple of ways to skin it. So it's it's not a right or wrong. As long as you know how and why you're deploying what you're deploying, th- then it's not wrong to do
1: it necessarily. And that's the same for everything. It's the same for mic choice, console choice. I mean, the, right. the, 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 the gear that like, we oh, choose. Well, I've
3: always done it like this, or this is how I was taught. So obviously right. it's correct. Like, well, is it though? Like, it's... Anyway,
1: that's that's the message. If you take one thing away from the Signalize podcast, I want you to remember this: you are right, and everybody else is wrong, all the time.
0: <laughs> or, look, or or a little bit, if you can, if you can explain why it is you're doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. then you know. I guess you could still be. Could be wrong, but at least, but, <laughs> but 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 but, it, I, but at least if you could if you could say why you know you are choosing to make the decision, I'll respect that. Even if I think what you're doing is wrong, if you could say, Hey, I intentionally did this because of this, or I don't know, we yeah, just, I, we just no, do I, that.
1: I dig yeah. you, you made a decision based on a reason that like I dig that you can justify why you did. That's cool. I did, and, and there's a lot of value in saying. I mean, it's really funny when I send out like mixes to, I'll send them to Jim Yak and Ryan, like those poor guys just get yeah, them I'm going to start charging
0: every time we say that now, too.
1: It's true. It, it Charge them. Uh, but <laughs> no, you should be yeah, paying for that. You, have, them. To, you have to critique my mix and you have to pay Chris. Like, what a shitty deal that would be, right? <laughs> but um, no, it. it there's a lot of value in them saying, Ooh, "Hey, Alexander's I would do it watching. like what's this." What's up, Alexandria? Sorry. Uh, oh, so, hey. Yeah, our, uh, our
0: our special NASA broadcast engineer, Na- you know, Grammy, not Grammy, not Grammy. Was it Grammy? Emmy. Oh, shit. What, what? Emmy. Emmy. Emmy? There we go. Emmy.
1: Emmy award-winning
0: broadcast mixer, Alexandria. And nice. I believe top
1: five most downloaded episodes of all time. I believe she's yeah. in top five.
0: Yeah.
1: Awesome. Truly yes. awesome. Uh, coolest job in the world. So. There's, there's a lot of value to me in somebody saying, well, I don't, you know, I would treat my background vocals like this. If I go like, yeah, you know, I don't, that doesn't work for me, but there's value in deconstructing that approach and learning from it and arriving at the decision that it's not going to work for what you're trying to do. That is an important learning opportunity as well. So you don't have to agree with the, with the approach in order to learn from the approach.
3: Right. As long as you have like a learning attitude about it, then if, if everybody approached Audio like that with the I want to learn as much as possible attitude, we would all be so much better off. But form, I but feel like, but surface. Potter,
1: you're not, you're right, and everybody else is wrong. I feel like you're not listening to that. This remember, you're everyone else is wrong, it's not sticking with you for some reason. I, I know you. you're an educator. I
3: got you. <laughs> Next
1: time you teach, just get up front and tell them, just say, hey, you're all wrong. Start from that.
3: You've ever yeah. been told wrong, and
2: I'm about to the right thing. So I've done it. Each way, I've done it on an aux, I've done it just you know regular stereo, and yeah. then I've done it on a matrix, done it in a monobus, right? Um, I've
3: done it all the all different ways. It was what well, I, I brought it up because me and Michael were texting earlier. There was uh, a particular thread in a particular group that was just like going, I mean, every single person was like, um, said this is the only way to do it because wrong reason that i only do it this way because wrong reason, and nobody had a i was like oh yeah i do it like this because blah 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 it was like subjectivity and just like not understanding something so uh i come in and write on everybody's parade and just and link an article and you know she she
1: i'm gonna buy you a big ladle for christmas to stir all these pots with. You're always getting in, in, embroiled in these these Facebook like It's terrible. I've always
3: struggled watching people be like horribly wrong like in groups. Like it was just something that was like like why aren't any of you guys trying to figure out the solution rather than just like everybody patting each other on the back like god we're so great. This is amazing. We're ruling this.
5: Anyway. You know what?
1: Well, okay, so 10 very close to that, right? These cookies are fantastic. Um, it's this really weird like armchair engineering thing. And I see it all the time, even on on, like really great forums from people who are super knowledgeable and who I totally respect. It takes longer to sit there and argue about what happens than to go find out what happens in a lot of cases. Yeah. Dave Ratt, right? He's he worked for Mattel, the toy company before he talked about this on on the episode we had him on. And it was one of the first things that that I, I learned from Dave. And he said, we're sitting around having a meeting with all these executives about, well, what happens if this toy breaks? If it's if it drops, could it possibly break? What might happen if this toy is dropped?" And he said, well, they're arguing about what might happen. He said, I went on the parking lot and dropped it. <laughs> and so, you know, that sandbox idea of let me just try it and see what happens, like, that's so important. And at some point, we've all gotten to the point where we'd rather just wait for someone else to do it and tell us what happened, and no one wants to go and try it. And like, why it's so easy? I mean, you you can do this stuff in your basement. Some of these things, you don't need a laboratory to to test a lot of these ideas. So, like, I I really like the approach where you say, "Well, I'm interested in this," and I've heard things on both sides. I mean, David and Hannah know I've been working on this thing for a while now about th- this this idea that, and we're not going to get into it because I'm not ready. But
5: uh, no, it's time to stir the pot, Michael. No, we're we not stirring the pot. That. I'm not. I'm not no. Potter.
1: This idea that an underpowered amplifier, we've all heard this, an underpowered amplifier is more dangerous to your speakers when it's clipped than a regular amplifier being clipped because of the harmonic. So that's in books, but there's also some papers that say it's absolutely not true. So there's stuff on both sides of this, right? So in this situation, my response is to say, well, gee, some people are saying this is a thing and here's why, and other people are saying Mm -hmm. it's definitely not a thing and here's why. I want to test it. I want to see what happens, so I went and bought a bunch of little amplifiers and loads, and so I could go in my basement and clip the shit out of them, and see what it did. But to me, that is still viewed as like the exception. It's like, wow, you actually tested it. Like, yeah, we're audio engineers; that's what we do, right? Like, I want, I want to see, I want to do it, I want to try it. I don't just want to sit and debate it. So, I like the investigative nature. Mm. I think that's interesting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, and you and I have spent like hours talking about that, yeah. just, about just going and testing something. Um, I was just speaking with um, somebody earlier today and yesterday uh, about what the ATEM switcher is actually doing to uh, audio because it's garbage. <laughs> um, and it, it like can't take anything. It wants to, it just starts to story really fast. And I was like, yeah, I really need to like go. And, yep, yep, mine's, mine's behind me. Uh, something's happening to it. Um, I have a question. Meaning I was like, I really need to plug this in and test it so that I know for sure what is actually happening.
1: What does ATEM stand for?
3: Oh, what does it stand for? Mm-hmm. Ask Black Magic.
1: Yeah, but that's not their term. They they
3: No, a a- term. A-Tem,
1: ATEM
0: is an industry term. but It's not, yeah. I, um,
3: I'm just a simple
4: audio lady. Yeah, we're we'll audio <laughs> people here. I don't know. You and me both. As <laughs> soon,
1: soon as a video question comes up, we're all like, "I don't know. I have no idea." <laughs> so,
4: I do. As
3: far as I'm concerned, Black Magic owns it. So. All
1: right. I got a question for Potter. Serious yeah. question for Potter. We've talked a lot on the show about uh, the fact that there are some awesome opportunities on the manufacturer side of the industry.
2: Yeah.
1: Now that you've had some time to settle in. To your role with Alan and Heath, American Music and Sound. That's so awesome. What are I hear myself? That's crazy. Sorry, uh, I, <laughs> I a
4: fresh I,
1: everything's working. Everything's working great. Um, can you reflect a little bit on maybe your perspective of how you perceive of a manufacturer or a person who would work for a manufacturer before you had that job versus now that you're doing that and like how your perspective may have changed on that?
3: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, before I joined the Allen and Heath USA team, um, which is also like American music and sound. Um, it was kind of like, um, it, I don't know. It wasn't really on my radar because one, there's not like gobs and gobs of jobs in manufacturing. Like I knew the, the few big players and things like that. And before I took this job, I was actually concerned with the idea of like selling out, like it meant something that I, I was taking this job. Um, but now having been on the team for uh, just a little over six months, I feel entirely differently about it. Now I feel like I um, get to, in in my own special way, get to influence the industry um, in, in certain ways. Um, so, you know, Michael said I'm the install empress, which is kind of my, my tongue-in-cheek name, but my, my official title is manager of commercial and install audio. And, like, my whole job is is understanding... The market, and so I, I get a lot of um, pleasure and enjoyment getting to teach and doing um, audio stuff and exploring and being really good and understanding the technology and helping influence the technology uh, that we'll be using later. And that is just kind of um, a note I didn't realize I wanted to hit before, and now it's like, oh, this is totally a thing. Um, it opened up a lot of doors suddenly, so I really recommend it. Now that I've experience it it's like oh yeah if you get the chance to work for a manufacturer like it, it's pretty sweet i, don't, I, I don't want to mean,
1: talk about and it's 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 a difficult subject but it's an important mm-hmm. one and i'm glad you mentioned it this yeah. idea of selling out that if you get a uh you know what might be perceived as a, a cushy they cart- a no, very nice chris chris got the uh you
4: M- spelled M- S- wrong
1: though buddy you gotta put a p in there <laughs> <laughs> um that idea that if you get, I mean, it's like the band gets signed to a major label and they sold out, like because they got successful right. enough to be sold. right. So, like, uh, what might be viewed as a as a as a desk job or a cushy corporate job, like uh, we, you know, a lot of people feel like maybe those people are out of touch. I don't. That hasn't been my experience. I mean, the the, the people at the manufacturers that I that I interact with regularly are very much in touch and are always talking yeah. to people about who are in the field using this stuff, what should it do? I mean, we just had Matt Lawrence on the show talked about that. Kyle talks about that all the time. So what would you say to someone who is concerned about that as this selling out idea?
3: Uh, I would say that it's totally the opposite of that. You actually have to be super in tune with the industry in order to be really successful working for a manufacturer. If you're out of touch, um, you're going to get like you, you fall out Really easily, and so um, I I spend some of my time every week just making sure I'm I'm keeping up um, contacts and and talking with people, and um, doing the occasional like freelancing, and and still continuing my editorial work. Like that's all keeping me grounded, and helps influence like my regular job. So yeah, if you if you've never considered manufacturing job in Pro Audio, um, there are a, a lot of really good jobs that pay really well, and you get benefits. Uh, in retirement and it's just a different a different version of pro audio that you may not have thought of but they're definitely out there so
1: and the other thing that keeps you me texting you multiple times a day saying like hey the sq should have a button that does this or yeah
3: or like hey does it do this and i was like and if i don't immediately know it's like oh yeah uh, it's out of the shop, but I've got, you know, my, I have an SQ5, my matrix processor. I've got a D live and a over my other shoulder. I don't have a queue here. I had, I had,
5: does, to set
1: does that put like, so when I go, Hey, is there a way to do this? Like that pushes you to go and learn more about these things and talk to your team. And I mean that,
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Hearing, hearing what users are trying to
1: do with it. Right.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I'll go and um, like watch webinars from the UK team or my um, counterpart, Mike Bangs, who does the life's on a touring side of, of what I do. I'll go like watch his uh, webinars and go learn stuff. Like um, earlier this week, he was talking to somebody about multi-surface stuff and I had never set it up. So I was like, cool, I'm going to watch this and I'm going to like do it along with him so I can see how it is to actually actually do that. Um, and it may not have come up otherwise or I may not have a chance, had a chance to, but I come across so many different people now and I get asked so many different kinds of questions. It's like, yeah, I actually have never done that series of buttons or I've never tried right. to do that feature. Let me go do it. And like, oh, no, nope, you can't do that. Or yes, you can do this. Or here's a workaround. Like I get to understand the technology in a completely different way because I'm getting so many different points of view.
1: I think the idea of use case to like you know, you've been like, well, why would you want to do that? And then I'm like, well, I'm trying to do this and this and this in this situation. And you're like, oh, yeah, I see. And I, and, and I see that, you know, in, in terms of working on smart all the time. Someone mm-hmm. will say, hey, you know, is there a way to make it do this? And you sometimes you're like, why? What do you do? Like, why do you mm-hmm. want that? But then they say, well, I have it set up like this. I'm trying, And then you're like, OK, so these people that are out there using these products in ways that are different than the way I use the products it's really right. valuable to hear about that and what's working, what's not working. And then, you know, that fuels mm-hmm. these discussions with the team about, well, you know, people wanted to do this.
2: Yeah.
1: And does that make sense for us to go in this direction or why or why not? And, and right. you know, the, I think a, a thing that a lot of people don't realize is when you're talking about console firmware or software development, work mm-hmm. is always happening. Right. We don't go like, all right, we're not developing anything for six months. We're, we're always working on something. Yeah. So what is getting built and then what is not getting built because that's getting built. And that is where the, the tricky decisions come in, where mm. uh, you have to make a call. You yeah. know what I mean?
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I'm uh, very proud to to work with a company like Allen and Heath, where we do um, the technology development and the firmware updates. I mean, come directly from its users, like we have I was just telling you about this earlier. we have that community forum on you know community dot dot com where people go and say like oh i'm have Something weird's happening here, or we'd love to see this feature. Like we develop firmware updates from that list, from just peep, from any user, like getting on and saying, "I'd like to see this." Like this would be cool. That's what every one of our firmware updates come from. So whenever you or other people message me saying, "Hey, this would be a sweet feature," like I pass that information along. But if it's me and the community forum doing it, it's like you like you may easily expect that in a future firmware update. So.
1: Well, I want to hear Dwayne. I want to hear your thoughts because I mean, you're like, you're like me. You're like, I love the consoles, man. I love the gear, you know, for those who, uh, I guess Chris is the only one who knows the story and Hannah, cause they were on the episode with us, but he told us a story about, he wanted to learn a console. So he stole it, and took it home. And that's an awesome story. <laughs> so,
0: not not um, literally stole it. Let's not, let's not. Incriminate yes, here. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: he, he, uh, temporarily borrowed it from a, uh, his employer. <laughs> um, which is fantastic, uh, but uh, yeah. uh, when you're hearing her talk about like the manufacturers paying that close attention to the end users, and I mean, w- y- someone who you're you're like, I love consoles and I love getting into this gear. I mean, what's that? You know, have you thought about having that relationship with the manufacturer and that being a factor? And speak of the devil, Mr. Jeff Holly himself.
2: <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so, Dwayne, kind of, what's what's your reaction to that? Yeah, that's great to hear because you know a lot of times you'd be like, why. It's it's workflow, right? Like, so if something is simpler, like, a lot of times I'd be like, didn't they think about this when they did it? So to know that you're actually working in the field and then you have that input, that's refreshing to hear. Like, that is, you know. I'm gonna get yeah. your contacts because I'm gonna be calling you a lot.
3: <laughs> okay, between me and Michael Bangs, we should have you covered. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Take care, there's
2: yeah. an SQ that I'm about to win. So um, I can need to- some. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you and you know there's, what? I, I, I mean, there's a ton of manufacturers that don't do that. And even before I joined, like it would kill me when I would find out when I was doing a review or or Michael was doing a review and we like find out that the engineers of some other console manufacturer are like none of them were audio engineers or they never like talked to one and they were just making these decisions without talking to anybody. And then the like console ends up sucking because it wasn't actually made, you know, it wasn't FUBU. It wasn't, it wasn't for us by us. It was just a couple of guys thinking that they understood the market.
1: Is that like a kids these days expression? I don't know that one. No, that's, that. A old that's, a
3: expression. Expression. that's a clothing no. line.
1: Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, Damon. I know Damon John's clothing line. I didn't know what that's what it stood for. Right. The I don't know How any high? of
2: this. Or something like that. How high?
1: I don't know.
3: The 90s, um, like, black culture. Uh, it was like a brand, I think, at some point. It was, yeah, no, it's.
0: Yeah, it was a brand. Yeah, the whole clothing line. Yeah. All right.
1: Well, shows I see you know, I I stick to the plaid
6: like like Holly's plaid shirt there. That's as far as I go. Yeah, I'm I'm representing the fashion here of the kids these days, I guess. If these days are like 1950s in the middle of Montana or something. I mean, wait, hey, just, I, think I, have, fashion, I like, think I have.
3: I think I have those
6: glasses. Hold on. Yeah, let's see. he's doing (laughs) his best gonna do his jeff holly impersonation (laughs) sweet we're basically twins pretty
3: much you need a mustache michael
2: i'm I'm seeing that you rep alan and heath and obviously you've been around enough to use a bunch of different consoles and Mm -hmm. i always ask this of salespeople. And you know, I don't want to put you on the spot where I'm asking no. you to compare a different. Put on the spot. That's why spot. he's here. We're not yeah. a salesperson, you know, but go
3: right. ahead.
2: No, I mean in general. Um, yeah. Do you prefer your products over another in the field? And that's just from a straight audio professional standpoint. Mm-hmm. Take the that's brand a great off of it. Take the brand off of it, and. Yeah. If you had to, if you had to make the perfect console, and you had to take features from yours and another, like mm. how much of the features of your console would you actually want in the field with you?
3: Right. Um, okay. So trying to remove, trying to be as brand agnostic as possible. Um, as much as I've um, experienced Allen consoles before I joined the team, and then how much I've really like gotten to intimately know the consoles now, I would take almost like every single thing from Allen and Heath consoles. There's just like some things like that they're nailing, like the phase coherence, um, the ability to like have bus configuration where you're not latched to any particular kind of bus count uh, of certain, you know, subgroups or, or matrices or anything like that. Um, Things like that are, make a huge difference, and now I'm used to like working that way, and it is very hard to jump off of that. And the occasional time I, I've went and used a different console since I've joined the team, it was it feels like really clunky and so limited suddenly. Because even on our like um, you know smaller format consoles like the SQ. If you still get some bus configuration, I can still do 96k. Everything is still running uh, on an FPGA, so firmware updates are a really big deal, um, and, and and that matters. Uh, and There's also little pieces um, that we do that I don't think other companies do, like um, all of our I/O. It's everything's really scalable, so you don't have to like buy into a particular like lineage. Of equipment, um, if you have some some of our um, older or forty eight k like io boxes, like you can still plug that in to an Avantis and SQ and the agents our matrix processor, uh, if you can do that. And I know there's a lot of other console manufacturers where you like you buy into that line, um, and, and you're stuck in that line. And if you want to upgrade, there's there's you have to start fresh. So uh, I want I
1: want that- to hear from Jeff too because Ooh. Jeff. Jeff's a musician. Jeff plays a pretty mean bass line. I don't know if y'all know that, but I mean, Jeff yeah. as a as so you're you are in a sense an end user of of the tools that you've dedicated your career to.
6: Yeah, yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I, I think I'm going to give a little bit of a politician's answer here, though. You know, I, I you. think there's a distinction between making or creating, you know, you gave the, the, the question was formed around, you know, what would be your perfect console? And in there, the word that would stick out to me is making a little bit of a different question would be, would be my perfect console. I think one of the things that's really fun and what, you know, Samantha and I, you know, the whole rest of the team gets up to that's a little bit of a different question is there's a distinction between building a console for Jeff Hawley and a console for a wide swath of users. You know, if the question is, you know, what is my perfect console? Would I just go grab an Allen and Heath off, you know, that exists and say, that's it? Probably not. If, if I was pushed and I wanted to create like the console for me, yeah, I would pull, oh, that's kind of a neat little DigiCode trick. And, oh, I kind of like how they do this on, you know, this minus workflow. is interesting for me um, if I'm looking for absolute perfection. I, I would say, though. You know, that I, I agree with Samantha, I think that there's a lot of stuff that, that kind of we're up to and where we've landed on the technology that is uh, probably, you know, obviously, I'm super biased. But yeah, I, I think in multiple categories, we're, we're the closest to having the perfect quote, unquote, console that works for a bunch of people. I think mm-hmm. that's different than just the perfect console. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, if it were up to me, I also a lot of my background. I started on the more of the studio side of stuff, then did more theater live mixing. So uh, the the straight up rock and roll gig mixing at a small size club isn't necessarily my bag. And what I've been up to, so yeah, I might take something like a D live, add a couple theater centric functions, a couple mm-hmm. more studio centric functions, and to me that'd be a perfect desk. But yeah, yeah for someone who's mixing in a 200 cap rock and roll club, that desk might not be the one for them. And yeah, when you look at the world, there's not everybody out there that needs a little bit of theater, a little bit of uh, uh, the studio sort of workflow. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's always, I think I'd also add there and kind of my what immediately shows up to me is you know, texting back and forth with Michael. Hey, are you guys doing this or thinking of this? What about that? you know, or, you know, Chris, it pings about this question or, you know, so on and so forth that people are always kind of feeding us info, which is great. We love that. You know, there's always things too that I don't think that I could answer the same today as I might tomorrow. You know, there's always something new. So even if I could come up with the perfect console for Jeff Hawley, I think that would be a different console maybe tomorrow because there's mm. some new super cool thing. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you, Jeff. Um, because like because I have access to all these different like just Allen consoles, from day to day, I'm just like, I'm really into this. Like for a week, I was really on the Avantis for a while. Like, now I'm hanging out on, on the D-Life CTI-1500. It, like, just changes on my on my mood. And my background is in a lot of different consoles. I was on a, some really old Yamaha stuff for a few years. I, I haven't been... The only Yamaha thing I've been on recently was a TF5, and we won't get into that. Um, I, You know, I've done lots of gigs on the, on the X and an M32. I've cut my teeth on, on Digico consoles. Like, I have experience with all of these things, and so I've, it's not, you know uh i can understand and there are little pieces that i appreciate from other consoles uh but yeah to really you know same with with jeff kind of really answering question i would pull like a lot of things from alan heath because i just i know you know who it's by and, and the ideas behind the design like everything is very intentional like everything we've got was for a purpose so
1: i i definitely want to hear from david on this too but i mean i it's important to me i own multiple I, consoles i have access to multiple consoles I will pick based on the particular needs of what I'm trying to do, and when I did you know a theatrical show that was heavily programmed and was gonna run for a bunch of nights in a row, that's very different than uh a one off thing and I mean there are times when I say i'm gonna take today's this console today because I know that I'm gonna be outside in bright sun, and I know that I can see this screen really well outside, and that's yeah. you know so i or or I need to take this one today because uh it has to fit in the trunk of my car today or I'm going to take this one today because the snake is redundant. And on this gig, that's really important. So it's about, and it's something we talk about all the time on this show, but it's about choosing the right tool for the job. And ideally you, you are able to do that. And for me as a freelancer, who's invested in equipment, I don't have a warehouse. I'm not with me. I'm not IMS, right. I don't have this cool warehouse full of awesome shit. So for me, that's a big, it's a huge investment on, on a personal level. And And this is one of the first things when I first met Jeff, uh, one of the first things I said to him was like the fact that I can send an email and get a response. I'm having this problem with the desk or I'm thinking about doing this with the desk. How do you approach it? That is a huge thing for me that there are some some tools that I use and I really enjoy the tools, but I can't get anyone that makes the tool to answer my questions. And that's a problem for me. And so there's a lot of value there that extends beyond the feature set and the functions and what it's doing. And it's, is is there a human who's going to help me if I need help with this? Um, Mm -hmm. So David, who pretty much gets console du jour thrown at him all the time. And I think I may be the only situation where I actually ask him which console he wants. And he gets, you are completely the only (laughs) time I've ever been asked what console I want to use. Yes. So So, thank you. So what's your read on all this?
5: Oh man. I mean, at first I should say I'm, I'm so much of a pure system tech at this point. Yeah, you know, you're the only reason I'm actually mixing. To be honest, like no one else consistently will, asks me to mix. So to hire
1: you to mix. So you have to just deal with that.
5: So I mean, I, I'm happy to deal with that. But um, when I am mixing, it's because there's an act who doesn't have someone with that you know, with them to do that. So I don't get to settle in and you know learn the features of a console and live with it night to night. The most important thing for me is. How fast can I meet this band and get them ready to sound check as professionally as possible without limiting their front of house engineer? And for me right now, just because it's what I have the mileage on, you know, that's a profile that's an M32. Um, But I mean, hopefully the market moves past some of those older platforms as time moves forward and we get out of the whole pandemic mess.
1: Well, you said, I mean, this idea that and i know we're talking about something that sq does something that the m32x32 can do something that i believe gld can do this idea i want to see one input into all my mixes so it's like a reverse sense on fader idea david has said uh, yeah, to me i mean that's
5: indispensable to me Right? monitor you said to because- me like if
1: the desk can't do that i'm not using that desk for the show because so so that's one of those 100%. things where you know the bus count and all that other stuff it's all nice, but you know, there are certain things that the the show demands or the way I work demands this particular thing. And Mm -hmm. if we can't have that, I don't care what else you have. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've, uh, I've, Ooh, for a second. Um, I clicked the wrong button. Operator this. error. See? I
1: was just <laughs> trying to flip to faders and I turned my camera
0: Now, that that uh, that operator uh operator usability, yeah, that that um that burnt me. You know, I had this nice three hundred and fifty thousand dollar console I had a <laughs> that I was using and it couldn't do sends on faders. Uh, it it was the it was a the Studer Vista Five SR when that thing I don't know if they've updated the firmware, but when it first came out, you couldn't do uh, monitor flip, you couldn't do send on faders. Um and so we were doing Times Square New Year's Eve, um which is uh, you know, no spo- you know, you know, this isn't a spoiler. Was, thing, was Bow Wow there? No, not, no, he wasn't. Um, but uh, it it's typically um, 100% track, and sometimes it's live vocal with track, but almost never is it ever a live band. And this isn't much of a spoiler, but that's beside the point. Um, however, that one of the years I was doing it, uh, so Chris Dolcher was playing, and he was adamant about playing live, right? And 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 and, and the promoter of the show and everything, at Times Square New Year's Eve, was like, hey, look, we respect what you want to do, but it's probably not a good idea. Uh, You know, He's like, because this show is going to happen, whether it snows, rains, whatever. um, And it's going to be live to millions of people. Like just, just do it on this one. Do live vocal. He's like, Nope, we're going to do this. All right. So mind you, uh, we had a half hour between when the last act was on. And then when he was live on air to get the last band's gear off of that stage, Uh, his gear on sound check and live one air we had a half hour. Oh man. Somebody in his department or his camp failed to tell him this was not a regular tour stop and that was not his console. Um and so I'm there with this, you know, nicer console and, and I'm there and his monitor guy was like, I've never seen this thing before and I'm like, you, you wanna do this? He's like, nope, you got it. I'm like, okay, cool. But everyone's on ears and so I'm not just going to start dialing up everything before I hear anything. I'm gonna get some game structure going. I'm gonna start, you know, I'm gonna get some things going before I just willy nilly it all, right? And so we, um, so we start, we start dialing and I'm just spinning away on knobs and I'll never forget Chris Daughtry, you know, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to play and he's like, he's like, what is this A Fisher price console? And I'm like, and I'm like, I was like, man, if you only knew, like I had a split second of like, I could like try to defend this thing right now. I'm like, if you only knew what I'm working with here, you know, and, uh, I just kept, kept going and we fought our way through like a sound check or whatever. And, and it, we, we got it, we got it going for air. Finally, um, after his two, three songs, whatever, was done... I saw him off stage afterwards and I tried to explain to him, like, Hey, here's what was going on. Like, you know, he had no like that's when he found out this wasn't his console. He thought it was his console, his monitor guy, and it was gonna be recall of a scene. Um, that's a long story to say, uh, that um Send Zone Fader is a big deal because I was not <laughs> able to get it up fast enough. Um at the end of the day, you know, he kinda of apologized a little bit, but I'll never forget that comment of like, What is this official price console? I'm like, dude, if you only knew what this console was, <laughs> yeah. but yeah.
3: Well, There's a lot of features I mean, that haven't been popular, but now people like one company comes out with it, and then everybody's like, "Oh, we actually really like this." That's and a good then, idea. Like, yeah. like the DCA spills, that was totally never a thing, and now everybody is like doing DCA spills. Um, like we've got um, MCAs now because that was something that people wanted, just like DCAs just for monitor sense. Like it's like people look for something, or one company does it, and then suddenly it becomes the industry standard. So.
6: Yeah, and not to not to bag on on Stuter anyway. And obviously, they they don't have anybody here to to speak for them. So um, yeah, I'll I'll make it a more general statement. But yeah, to be curious to think in that case, and kind of back to the point that was made before about listening to user feedback and and really designing something that works for a wide swath of people versus the perfect Jeff Holly console or something. I'm almost wondering in that case, like when they release that, how how was that missed? You know, what is that product's development cycle? And when they, you look at, it, and that's always the case. There's always more feature requests and things you'd like to put into a console than you have resources and time, and and sometimes just the the actual uh, processing you know limits of the console. You can't have it do everything uh, for an infinite amount of channels. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that kind of does tend to show. If you've got a mismatch between how you prioritize and what you're listening to, and you don't have a good system of really vetting those, and I think fundamentally if you don't mix yourself and you don't have folks in R&D that know how to sort these priorities, if the, the engineers in their, you know, basement locked away with, you know, occasionally throw them a plate of food and go code, if they, you don't give them guidance, yeah, you might end up with a case like that where the console sounds great. Maybe it has fifty awesome features, but the one that mattered was the one that they <laughs> missed. You know, you, yeah, you got to get that stuff right. And unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on who you are. Unfortunately for us as console manufacturers, but I think fortunately for the market, if you, you can only get it wrong a couple times, you know, there there are major manufacturers out there who shall go unnamed you know that had a kind of a string of a couple uh, product uh, misses and you know you can go from a very large market share and pervasive and you're everywhere to all of a sudden you're not the cool guy anymore uh it doesn't it doesn't take much to miss if you're really not paying attention to the market and you're really not listening you know so as much as we like to to top that and we think we do a good job at that that's also to say you know, we understand that we can mess that up, uh, and Ooh. so we take that very seriously. Uh, I like. So, to, uh,
0: Bri- it, well, Brian Maddox uh, mentioned this, um, and and Michael likes talking about this topic of like owning your own gear um and and so brian's talking about like the tipping point of like you know are we coming into an industry now where people are going to own their own gear so they're more proficient on it uh and he kind of specifically said does alan has have plans to to serve that specific kind of customer um and um so i don't know if maybe jeff or, well or i want to hear i want to hear from
1: Dwayne on this because okay. his whole his whole and again people haven't heard our, our our conversation until the episode comes out but his whole deal is like I want to do my own thing. I want my own stuff. And and Hannah recently got her own console, too.
2: So I, I'd, I'd like to hear from those people about this yeah. idea. Um, well, I look at it like this. Would you respect a carpenter coming to your house if he doesn't own his own hammer? If he doesn't bring his hammer? Right? So I feel, personally, I want to be able to say, I can bring my own console because I know it, like the Facebook user said, I'm proficient on it, I can get around it, and there's no hiccups. So that's, I would love, like, you know, if if all the uh, manufacturers could probably look at that in their offerings, where you can have, you know, because every, every engineer is not going to be able to afford the d version of a manufacturer, but we may be able to afford the QU, you know, um, so if you could put features, and I think from what I'm I'm understanding about the SQ series, there's a lot of the D Live features that can be used in the SQ um, series. That's affordable for a sound guy like myself who who wants to buy his own console and take it to mix mm. a band, even if I'm mixing a band on two sticks, like just two speakers on sticks. Yeah, yeah, you, you know what I mean. So I I that would be awesome.
4: Anna. Um I still am in school, and my school is really lucky, and we have lots of really awesome consoles. Um, that being said, I don't have, until recently, I didn't have one console that I knew a lot about and was really comfortable on and fast on, because the console changes every couple weeks when I'm, you know, what I'm working on with, with my schoolwork. Um, mm. And, so recently I got a X32, thank you, Michael. Um, and now I'm slowly, I'm still learning it, but I'm getting a lot faster and I'm definitely, I brought it to a couple shows, obviously there's COVID, so I don't have that many, but um, I'm the few shows I have been able to work on it with, um, I've been faster, I can do more, I have more time during my show to do the things that matter Instead of just scrambling on something I may not know that well, um, and I think that that does say a lot. But mm. at the same time, I think there's also something to be said for um, getting your hands on a little bit of everything and walking into a room and being able to be like, "Okay, I kind of know what I'm, you know, walking up to, and I I can at least get around and make the show happen, even if it's mm. not my choice."
1: Well, that's. My, my first tour was console de jour, PA de jour, and I knew nothing at the time about how to tune a PA or even assess such a situation. And every desk, I remember being in the van with the manual trying to read as much as I could between the time I found out what desk I was going to be on and the time I had to go in and, and, and do it. And that sucks, but it was really, really good for me because, I mean, Duane, it's like what you said, like, we all know what a group is, but how do I do a group on this console? Right. Mm. So if you know your fundamentals, you still have to go up to this console and figure out, well, how do I do that on this desk? How do I assign stuff to a VCA or DCA or whatever on this desk? How do I set up my effects rack on this desk? And that is a challenge. And that, I think, is where having either your own tool or being on the same tool all the time does speed you up. I mean, there's a line in the, the Italian job, which is a great I love heist movies. Uh, I'm actually planning a heist. Y'all have a role in it. More on that offline um, but there's a line in where she says technology guarantees me speed and accuracy. And, and that's how I feel about showing up with my own tool for exactly what Dwayne said. You know, oftentimes I need to have, have things happen quickly and respond to changes quickly. And that just takes variables off the table. I mean, I've also, I have left shows where the, they said that we, you know, we use the house console and I had a lousy show because I was fighting with this tool or as a problem just, you know for whatever reason, or, or maybe it just wasn't a good fit for the way I like to work. Maybe there's yeah. nothing wrong with the product at all. It's just not a good fit for me, right? So showing up at my desk takes all those things off the table and I can just focus on other stuff rather than where's that setting in this menu that I can't find. And, and for me, the calculus kind of worked out where that was worth the investment because that gets me more calls. Um, yeah. It may not it may not work out that way for everybody, but in my particular case, that, that was that was what I chose to do with it. Yeah, yeah.
3: Hey, so this was Brian. Brian commented that, right?
1: Hey, Brian. Hey,
3: What's yeah, up, Brian Maddox? Yeah. Um, to, to like answer your question, uh, I do think that that's just going to become a more and more prevalent thing because um, certain companies are, are having a really, really great trickle-down effect where you're getting really quality consoles for way less money now. And so it doesn't become a huge investment suddenly. It's becoming a little bit more democratic, uh, and so everybody can kind of partake in it. So, yeah, I do think it will, as technology continues to develop, um, that we're going to see more and more of that. And as far as Alan and Keith having a plan to serve that kind of customer, I feel like we, that's who we are. We're kind of, um, we're the kind of people who care about every single user. We're not just vomiting consoles, um, people and not caring about the support. It's like, no matter who you are, like you can get a hold of us and get the, the kind of support and service that, that you need from human beings. So,
0: uh, in fact, yeah. Samantha's so, number I, is
6: 610
1: <laughs> You know, I think about, Chris, some of the stuff that you post with your how, you, how We Got Loud project, which for anyone who hasn't checked it out, check it out. It's really cool. All these great photos from the 60s, 70s, these shows they were doing, just enormous racks of equipment. And these consoles that are the size of my car. It must have taken five people to flip over. And, I mean, you know, the footprint, there's an SQ5 right here on the desk in front of me. Like, I think about how much power is in the footprint of a modern digital console compared to what you would have had to do with outboard gear in 1975 to even come close to it it's mind-boggling and that's kind of what you're talking about Samantha where this is yes. the the barrier to entry in, in a very in, not in all ways but in a lot of ways has been greatly reduced
3: yeah and the where- tool is way way lower but the knowledge is creeping up um, it's it's quite weird, actually. So, like anybody can like almost kind of start get started in audio. Anybody can get started in it, but advancing in audio takes a little bit more effort.
2: Now. Yeah. So my question, um, sorry to the Alan uh, and Heat, um, the D Live, and like that's the flagship, right? Like that that would be kind of the flagship. If I'm used to, because I've used the QU series. Quite often, what's the learning curve if I had to jump on a D Live desk with no training or no like? Because I I think that's a big deal as well. I think right. once you have a line of consoles in your hole, I should be able to go from your lowest end to the highest one without having to get a biology degree.
5: Yeah, Right. yeah, that's always. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
6: Yeah, biology degree. I said biology yeah. Jeff, I,
0: I, Jeff, I think he just gave you your next blog post. I'm just saying, uh, you know, but.
6: Yeah, So there's something there. Yeah, I would recommend a philosophy degree. That's probably going to be the most productive and helpful thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so the, some really good points coming up. And, and that's a, obviously a, a bit of a tricky question to answer as far as, you know, what the learning curve would be. That's a, a fairly wide leap in our product line from Q, then you'd be SQ, then Avantis, then D Live, and, and kind of back to that perfect console idea and versus a you know a console for you know, specific tasks or subsets of a of the market. You know, D Live is is totally different in application from what you normally, if you're using yeah, it's a perfect gig for a Q sort of console that's probably a different gig than what you'd be doing with the DLive. All of that being said, there are very common uh, functions and a basic uh, framework of how signal flow works across all of our consoles. There are a lot of very similar functions like with copy, paste, and clear, and some things that are basically, if you understand it on a queue, it will be fairly self-explanatory on a DLive. Kind of back to Chris's point though, there are things that get much more you know, sophisticated and if you're doing you know, the way that spills would work and, and things like that, obviously there would be things you'd have to pick up on, on DLive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so so we, while we do try to keep things as consistent as possible and I, I would argue and someone can you know, maybe differ in their opinion, but I would say again, that's another area where we actually do excel. Um, you know, I've mixed quite a few, you know, Yamaha, for example, I, I would argue from my personal experience, you know, that how you get around on a TF versus how you get around on a Ravage or even a CL, quite a different flow in my mind, at yeah. least.
4: Yeah. yeah. Versus, no, one you know, there's one a
6: lot more similarity, I think, between Q even leaping to D Live, I won't say, though, that you immediately could grab it and go and, you know, you're just rocking and rolling hundred percent on D Live, that's not gonna happen. But you certainly could walk up to it, and understand the basics, and a lot of the core ways that you get around in a queue will carry over. Um, I would say that the, the gap between SQ and D Live is certainly much shorter. Much, much, uh, smaller. much more shorter. There's a lot more in common there. Q it has a little bit of a of a unique for our line, a little more of a one-to-one sort of thing going on in most cases, unless you're on the custom layer where, you know, basically channel one is channel one. So that's the biggest difference. Is for SQ and up. It's a much more malleable. Where do you want these inputs to show up and what layer? And, and once you understand that you're good to go from SQ all the way through D live, uh, basically the same flow cues, uh, a little bit more of a, uh, mixing and almost more like an analog style. So it's not quite the same paradigm as you'd have, uh, you know, in D-Live land.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and to,
6: question.
3: Yeah, to further answer your question, I would say like, um, it, when you're on an Allen Heath, like regardless of when you're on, it like feels like an Allen Heath when I'm jumping from console to console. Um, there are always like little pieces here and there as far as it explicitly going from a queue to um, a D-Live just like the functionality is like exponentially different. Like you're just doing different things like Jeff said. And so um, if you understand those things and you're awesome and good to go, but like, uh, you know, almost completely across the board, like the compressor looks really similar and it's in a very similar spot. Um, When you're using the gate, like that feels familiar, that the parametric that again feels familiar, the, effects like, ah, oh, yes, I remember this. You know, uh, I might send them a little bit differently, but it's not like as I go from Q to SQ to Vontostelia that I have to learn a completely new console. Again, there are differences, but it always feels like it's part of the Allen & Heath ecosystem.
1: You know what I think? And it was interesting to me. it's I mean, I, obviously, I'm a big fan of the Midas Pro Series stuff. Um, that's one thing that I think they did really well is that you can literally take your Pro 1 show file and load it on a pro x and it works and you know where the so like that that's that may be a reason to choose you know this platform but what was interesting we did this thing a couple months ago uh which we called console day because we didn't really have a good name for it but we just got together at the shop and we had sq5 sq6 we had an avantis we had a pro one we had um, an X-32. Uh, Sam Fine brought out, a, I believe it was a Midas Heritage, a big old gigantic monster. He brought it in a fucking trailer uh, with this rack. And it was neat because there were people there who knew certain platforms and you know, other platforms. So everyone got to try out a platform that they didn't know. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And it was really interesting cool. to see like David went up to the SQ and he's like, well, okay, so pretty much everything's where I would expect it to be. That's an interesting first observation. Uh, Sam had gone the pro one and he said, wow, the visual feedback on this desk is great. There's lots of lights and meters. And so, you know, those are all things when I think about investing in a tool, what's important to you? You know, if you're a visual feedback person, like all the bright colors and the screen. I mean, you know, I have a, I have a friend who he has a huge passion for audio. He has horrible vision. He's like almost legally blind. So there are certain <laughs> interfaces that he just can't work with because there's small text on small screens. And so he needs big, bright colored buttons. And so, you know, I think it's one of those things where there's there's a lot of pissing that goes on about which bet which is better. It's like, no, which is, which is, you know think about what what you need to do and i mean a lot of the stuff that 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 Dwayne does a lot of stuff that i do like this is the amount of space i get i can't bring in a huge thing in a road case and flip it over like no i have two square feet on the on the counter or whatever and it's got to fit in that space so sometimes i choose it because it's small you know what i mean so that there's just all these different uh things that, that play into why mm-hmm. you're trying to Choose a tool, Chris.
0: I I would say so to keep this somewhat agnostic and a little counter to to, to not just the Alan Heath world, um, (laughs) is um, I, I think... Outside of the the T the TF series, Yam- that's one thing Yamaha actually has done really well through the years. Actually, is that their family is a family. You walk up to an LS nine, you walk up to a PM five D, to a one D, to a Revage. It's M seven. The ecosystem's the same. The structure's the same. The graphics just look better or worse depending on which way you're going. Um, you know, so I think that's one thing they've done really well. Um, and then going back to like choices would be um, sometimes the choices you have to make are. Uh, because of the world you live in. So, like in the AV world, you know, I have to be able to re rent something. And so, you know, if I'm at a point where Yamaha has the market share in our industry and mm. I'm a big AV provider. I'm probably married to staying in that ecosystem. And someone had made a comment of, um, uh, well, the word ecosystem, it's not just a console, it's an ecosystem, right? So, you know, if I'm living in a very dedicated, you know, Dante world, you know, um, Yamaha was there really early on, you know? And so when you're making these choices and once you've invested in some of it and you have to keep growing your inventory, you're kind of locked in there. Whereas, yes, may I be able to get uh, a cheaper X other brand console, uh now than i would yes but i have to stay in the secret system it's trainability for my my people and or my techs so that i have to get around the country so there th- those it's not always like um um
1: i don't know where i would go there but well, it, it, yeah i know what you're saying chris i want to piggyback on that i got a friend around here he's lighting for a bunch of theaters in the area high schools colleges professional theaters and there's a point where they all ready to get a new desk and they say what desk should we get and he advises them to get a certain series of desk so that there are five of them within a 20 mile radius of here so if a theater has a desk that goes down we can say hold on we'll be right back and Mm -hmm. we can we can get your show back up Right. right so chris you you have to talk about what's writer friendly what can i rent If I'm buying a tool for my personal use, I don't care about rider friendly. It's about what tool do I want. So there's all these different reasons to weigh. Sure, and I'll I'll take this outside of
0: outside of consoles. So like at IMS when we bought our last big line array purchase, right? I mean, I took a big leap in that. So we we bought into the Martin family um which again they don't have very much market share yet um and so it was a big decision of like hey how how much can i cross rent this how much do i need to buy so i don't have to cross rent often you know but i wanted to buy it because to me it was the best product available for the type of work we're doing and i didn't want to just buy into x other orange brand uh or other (laughs) other brands um so you know it's there there are times we have to make decisions like that of you know of of um, it's market share versus uh, what's the right tool for the job versus mm-hmm. all all those things. It, it all plays into those, you know.
3: Yeah, I mean that's why all these different tools exist. Period is because they have different uses in different cases. So
6: yeah, in some way, it, it almost makes me think as well that the difference between the rented sort of uh, product and the market share conversation versus I own my console and you know that's the one i'm most familiar with almost parallels in some ways to thinking for me thinking about a studio musician you know okay well if i've got to own one guitar or one bass i know which one i'm going to get probably going to get something right down the middle of the road like you know the tried and true i've got my fender precision bass if I'm a solo artist and I want to do whatever I want to do, and I'm not out playing with 50 other bands or I don't have to work in the studio, I can mm-hmm. get the boutique custom, you know, crazy bass with this really unique sound. Cause that's what I want. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's somewhat similar here, uh, back to the question from Facebook that was posted. You know, I think one of the things that we're up to from an Alan and he standpoint to, to try to serve both of those, uh, you know, kind of different market needs. We want to be able to say, here is your console that you can customize. You can get a D live and pair it with this console frame control surface that's 19 inches wide and 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. If that's the type of gig you're doing, that's your console rock and roll for you. If size is not an object, great. Use that same engine and get the the giant S7000, and you've got faders for days. At the same time, making sure that we're establishing and doing what we need to do to make sure that D Live is in every rental house out there, so that as you are out and about, that is the console you're seeing. And I think from a marketing and from a uh, you know manufacturer standpoint, those are kind of two different, sometimes competing. Uh, goals that we're up to, you know, I, how I go about doing that and the conversations we have and the the levers and dials we pull to make that happen are certainly different. Um, but I think we, we clearly, you know, are striving to try to meet both of those demands. We want Chris to be able to say, yeah, I can cross rent a D live any day. It's on every rider out there. Uh, you know, Billy Eilish is in town, you know, Drew needs some, some backup gear. He's got, he's cool. He's using a D live and this artist and that artist, you know, these huge you know, conferences that are happening, you know, I'm seeing, you know, Q consoles and SQ popping up everywhere. So I'm safe buying one for my, you know, my rental company or buying five, but at the same time, you know, for, you know, for Hannah and the folks that are you know getting started, I only have money for one you know, how do we also balance that and think of that, that, yeah, you can get the SQ and then apply those lessons learned and even the IO move it forward when you jump up to the Avantis cause you're doing more gigs and guess what? Now D live is that much more established, continue to slide forward. You know, so we're, we're trying to look at as best as we can kind of all those moving dynamics in the market. Um, and that's kind of what makes it fun. If it, you know, yeah. It's also not easy, you know. So, again, there's kind of for every one of these, it seems like, well, man, if someone would just make a console that does this, this, and this, and put it at this price, (laughs) they'd win. But, yeah, uh, no one's quite figured that out yet, you know, the perfect console, kind of back to that question as well. So to touch on
2: the price point thing, um, I think for us in the Caribbean, especially here in the Bahamas, Features and price point really goes hand in hand because whatever the console cost, it's going to cost me almost that much to get it here mm. because of our import taxes. So if I pay $100 on a console, it's going to cost me 52% on custom duties yeah. plus the shipping. Oh so, God. So when I say... I want the features of a D live and a an SQ. It's not like you, you know, like it's because I'm trying to get I'm I'm almost paying for a D live if I buy an SQ. <laughs> you know I mean you, you know, like not really, yeah. but yeah. close. <laughs> so for yeah, us yeah. in for us in this region that has to ship out of out of the US country, that would be a big deal for us, especially feature packed. And I think that's why the Behringer X32 products were so popular. Because they crammed a lot of features into a very, I mean, a smaller price point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we get, it's more bang for the buck, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, that's, I, I, our, that's I, I, our viewpoint.
3: Yeah, The X32 definitely ha- had its purpose for a really long time and, and still oh. has a piece of it. I mean, like, a, a, I understand why people still use uh, X32. Well, but- you're
1: going to have... There are situations where they say, what is the absolute cheapest thing that I can do this job with? Right. And, and sometimes price is literally the only factor, right? All these other factors that we've talked about, sometimes the price tag is, is, is the thing that makes the call. Um, I, and I think especially, I think back about being in my band in high school. Right. And it's like, I need a distortion pedal. And I don't care about I don't fucking know what tone is yet. And my guitar it has duct tape holding it together. So yeah. this literally, what's the cheapest distortion? Yeah. And that's as far as it goes. And 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 so there are certain manufacturers that are gonna lose that every time. Right. But I think as you develop and you you start to look towards the future, and things like all the other stuff that we've talked about becomes important here, where I'm choosing a tool for a reason, and hey, I want this to come with support. And I want to be able to get a part for this if it breaks and I need a part. Um, all of those things cost money. So you very quickly, I think, depart from what is the absolute cheapest thing I can get to What is makes sense as an investment. And then, you know, there's this idea that the, sometimes the cheapest thing is is not the cheapest thing in the long run. Um, so, yeah, and I, and I think at the end of the day, you know, the, for for the situations where the price is the only determining factor, that... It is what it is, but I think uh, you know if you can go up one rung, even now you have three options instead of one option, right? Um, and so now you can really start to uh, start to think about all these things that we've talked about. So, so and when you come to something like a console or a PA, I'm working on an install right now. And we're talking about this is going to be here for 10 years, right? That's that's sort of the effective life of an installed PA system in, in, in a theater, about a decade. And so when you talk about, let's say, $80,000 versus $90,000 over 10 years, how much did it really matter that you saved that, that 11% or whatever it is? Hmm. If, if every day, I mean, so, I mean, this is a conversation that, and this is probably a good way to start kind of wrapping this discussion up because we're... we're we're, we're uh i'm it's that's past my bedtime uh and I, I only have three cookies left so um with the cramming the the th- i work with the theater have worked with a the theater and it was what's the cheapest thing we can get right but what happened is every single show that came into that space said we're not using that go rent us something else hmm. and so when you start paying 400 dollars a show to rent in a desk well Was that cheapest console really the cheapest console? No, it wasn't. It cost you a shitload of money because you didn't want to spend 20% more. So I think, again, I understand that sometimes it's not possible, but taking a longer view, particularly for not a freelancer, for an organization, for a a, a venue that that has acts coming in and has to comply with riders and and has to, you know, you're talking about mission critical stuff. It can't go down and all that stuff. Taking the long view, all of a sudden the, you know, the, the, the 4% price difference or whatever uh, stops becoming as big of an issue when you view it in, in, in the context that it's in. And that's just something that I try to impress upon people because when you hand in a bid or you say, here's your options, it's very human and very you know, understandable to say, well, I want that one. You're telling me these are options. I'm going to take the cheapest option, right? There are sometimes some hidden things that will get you there, uh, and so that's that's something that I'm trying to work with my clients on when I'm specing gear, having conversations about what our options are. Let's just talk about how this might affect some of the other things you're doing, and and you know, it looks cheaper, but is that a better value for you?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, what about the uh, we talked about having freelancers or people own your own gear? I struggle with this from being the 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 hirer, right? I'm hiring people to do work. I struggle with where does the responsibility lie if someone wants to bring their console, their, their wave server, their whatever to a show, and their piece of gear fails, whose problem is it? It's mm. it's not going to be their problem. It's going to be my problem. Um, you know, like if how do I explain to my client? Oh, their wave server crashed. Uh, your PA went mute. Uh, you know sorry, I was letting them use their thing. So that's where I struggle in giving the advice to freelancers of owning your gear because I know at least in working with me, I'm gonna provide the tools because it's it's my liability, it's my responsibility. So that's a tricky side of it and I think it probably depends on what type of freelance work you're doing, uh, and the level and scale and stuff like that. Um and uh so like a whole console in my world, I'm most likely never gonna have a freelancer bring their own console in. Uh, but that's just that's just my particular niche and, and market or, or, or whatever. So that's I think it's something to be cautious about, you know. And that's like I had a guy, for instance, um, one of my freelancers who, he, he, for that very reason, he's been worried about using his Wave server, you know, on on shows. He was like, he's like because he understands that relationship. So like we've been in the um doing this broadcast studio stuff, right? So he's had it like inserted on a bus that goes nowhere. And he's been running it for a couple of weeks just to, just to like see what does it ever tank type of thing to kind of prove to himself that hey, this thing's reliable, this thing's reliable, this thing's reliable before he actually inserts it, you know, on my PA at my show or or or, or whatever. So that's that's a, a flip side of the conversation that needs to be a, a reality that so I Dwayne, maybe to kind of follow this up if you had someone who had their own piece of gear how would you feel about them bringing their own console to your show in, in light of that kind of context?
2: Um, well, I agree with the liability point because if it fails, it's on you know the production house, so to speak. However, there's something to be said about comfort, the com- um, use of comfort and confidence in what you have in front of you. And it's like if an athlete is comfortable and confident, he's going to perform better. So I, I I lean toward that a lot. If you want to bring in your gear, fine. I'm going to have mine close enough in in the event, you know, of a catastrophe. But i um, I think I'm okay because I'm of the mindset. More often than not, I've been like I could bring my console. Like you know, I'd ask what console do you have? And sometimes they have the same thing. They they have an X32 or an M32. But I rather use my M32R because I have it loaded. Like I can go, you know what I mean. Whatever happens, and I know exactly, you know where to go. So yeah, okay. I, I think I'd be okay with it.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a tough thing. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I want to a- answer. I want to answer Ed and Chris. Uh, so I'm gonna tell Samantha to respond to you guys directly in in afterwards uh, or some point. Uh, with some of the specific Alan questions. But
1: let me just throw in. Go to the, the – on the website, the SQ training, you can see Jack in his lovely yellow shirt, and I do enjoy those videos. Um, so, no, is it he does the Avantis, and I think Keith with the mustache
2: does the the SQ. SQ yeah, those yeah. are
1: fantastic. I'm so. mm-hmm. going um,
2: to watch them just for the purpose of texting you all and be like, oh, I saw this in your training. <laughs> um, however. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. The last cookie.
1: So, thanks everybody for joining us. As always, it's been a great time, stimulating discussion. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Hannah. Thank you to Dwayne. Thank oh, you to. Hold on. Oh, what?
0: Oh, oh. No. I, I What's I, Jeff? Oh boy. No. Let's let, Can you can you can you walk us out with a, a philosophy nugget to to think about as we as we lay late and go to sleep.
6: Oh, wow. Hold on, point. hold on.
2: Let me get my notepad. Go ahead.
6: Yeah, well, here, here's the one I've been thinking about lately. I, I watched a show on uh, the reality or non-reality of time. And I think I meant, mentioned something on LinkedIn about uh, McTaggart and his theories and, and philosophy around whether time exists. And so I dug into the physics about time. Um, and it was quite, quite interesting. in what it, it, it basically got me to this point of thinking... If there's a fixed universe, and from the point of the Big Bang, everything is deterministic, and free will doesn't exist in that case, what would that actually look like from a day to day? So in philosophy, the you know the idea would be if there's no free will, then there's no responsibility. Uh, you know, so just kind of thinking like, well you can't blame me for doing it. The universe made me do it. I was always going to do it. So therefore I had no choice. So mm-hmm. things really start to get interesting from a philosophical standpoint. So a couple nuggets in there, but the, I guess that the question would be, if you believe in, a, in determinism and basically this materialistic universe that from the big bang to the end of time existing, everything is already set into motion, Pretty how would that impact responsibility. So that'll be your, your, your bedtime story.
0: No, I, I've, I've contemplated that. It, 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 the whole pre, pre predestined thing is, uh, that's, yeah. that's, what, that's the crux of that. And, uh, yes. Am I ever actually at fault for doing something wrong? If it was predestined, I was going to do that anyway. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you.
6: <laughs> no problem.
1: Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for yes. joining us. It's Thank you. Great time.
3: And, uh, it's been too long.
1: Yes. So. All nice right.